Play on the cymbal, the timbal, the lyre. Play with appropriate passion. Fashion songs of delight and delicious desire. For the night of my night. Come where the so well beloved is waiting. Where the rose and the jasmine mingle. To be single Let peacocks and monkeys And purple adorns Show him the way to my bridal chamber Then get you gone Till the morn of my mornings After the night of my nights Tis the night of my nights Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios This week on Broadway for Sunday, August 21st, 2022 my name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, will be released on September 1st and can now be pre-ordered on Amazon. Peter has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of KissAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Well, our special guest this morning is Marilyn May, whom we last spoke with on June 13th, 2021. And Marilyn uh, has so much coming up that... Uh, we should probably just start by uh, having her give us the list, um, and then we'll just go from there because it's going to lead us into all kinds of discussion. Hi, Michael. <laughs> so nice to hear from you. It's been two years. Where have you been? <laughs> so as you just mentioned, I guess the first thing on your list of upcoming shows is your going back to the art house in Provincetown. Yes, that wonderful little theater. Uh, it, it sort of hugs you, and so does the audience. And uh, we're, we're, we have two weeks there. We'll do, well, five days each week. We open next Tuesday, and we'll be there through, uh, well, in, in through September. Well, it's not through September, but, but uh, gosh, I have to turn my pages to see. Through Labor Day weekend. Through Labor Day weekend. Okay, good. And then we go, and then we go to, and during that time, even on our day off, we have a, a, a some sort of a private. I don't know that it's private, but uh, um, another engagement on Sunday there in P Town um, for the uh, Art Society. So um, that's on a Sunday. Then there's when we close on Saturday night. The following Monday, we go to Cotuit, Massachusetts. And we'll be there at the Cotuit Theater, which is, which I've done several times before, actually three times before. And I love that. I love that theater. So uh, and then we go back and then I'm going to go back to P-Town for three days of holiday because uh-huh. I love I love being there. It's my it's my happiness place. I love the tower. I don't know what my what my connection is to that tower, but but I there's something about the tower that just just calls to me. <laughs> Do you, uh, have you climbed up to the top? <laughs> well, you know, I haven't. And maybe that's, maybe that's, maybe that's the desire. Uh, maybe, maybe that's why I, still I, time. I, I keep being drawn to it. 
but I don't think I'll climb up. They're, they're, I think they're building something that gets you up there, maybe. They're and, building something that gets you up to the base of the tower. And then there's, you still have to climb, right? Yes, yeah. And there's no elevator because it's, oh dear. it's like a hundred and <laughs> Maybe I old. won't see the top. <laughs> sort of like my career. <laughs> well, I certainly remember uh, when I checked you into the Ramada Inn in Brighton, Massachusetts, back in 1967. You were very gracious to me. You gave me a lot of time. You were there to promote uh, Step to the Rear. Uh, I hope I hope for a good room. I hope for a sweet <laughs> Maybe that was the reason why. But I remember you telling me that um, that your mother uh, loved Marilyn Miller and that right. um, and that that was the reason you were named Marilyn. Um, what that, a memory. <laughs> so that uh, Look for the Silver Lining was her favorite song. I remember you telling me. Right. Well, it, it was my mother's favorite song, definitely. And she taught it. I, she taught me that song when I was probably three years old and um, she loved movies. And she went to all the movies and she she um, she she and I would sit there and probably see the movie twice. We would stay. She she played piano. My mother played piano uh-huh. and, and played stride piano and could transpose in any key. And, wow. Uh, she was just uh, she was, you know, she, it was wonderful that she uh, she had the, the pension for music. And it was a good thing because uh, we we left. Uh, living in Topeka, Kansas. I'm very Midwest, as you can hear. <clears throat> and um, we we moved to Des Moines, Iowa. We left my dad. And um, and I was doing, when I was a teenager, I was doing weekend gigs uh, in, a, in a club. And I, I looked older, I think. And, um, uh, and, I, and I had a radio show when I was 15 on KRNT in Des Moines, Iowa. And... Um, uh, every a, 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 a weekly radio show called Maryland Entertains, and you know it paid money. So, so my mother and I could be more secure. <laughs> All right. Well, how does a fourteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old girl get a job uh, on the radio? There was a pianist there uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, who was really good. He played he played organ and and piano, and um, and he thought I was really good. He heard me and said, "We need to do a." a a radio show. So I think it was a half an hour and we took requests from, from the, uh, anybody could write in and request a song and, and we would learn it. And the next week we would do it. And um, it was, it was great training for me. I'm sure. I remember too, that you told me that your mother actually kept a book with all the different <laughs> ages that you told people that you were, uh, there were old ages for the nightclub and younger ages for shows that didn't involve liquor. Oh, you're so right. I, I wish I'd said it as well as you did. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, she. we said, well, we're, we could tell some people that I was 14 and then other people I had to be over 16, you know. So we would we would say, OK, she's 16. And um, uh, that that seemed to make us acceptable around around the clubs. And uh, there was one particular club called the 100 Club. And I worked there on Friday and Saturdays with the same pianist. His name was Eddie Truman, and, uh-huh. and, and he was uh, he was very good, and and uh, and certainly prob- probably probably I'm sure a great education for me. He provided an education for me. Well, I had heard uh, Frank Sinatra 
saying, have you met Miss Jones? Uh, your rendition at the hotel that day is the one I remember more because you had told me <laughs> that you were a cousin of Joy Hodges who introduced you're that right, song. Right. And I'd rather be right. Am I she, right? <laughs> you're absolutely right. She, oh, I'd rather um, be right. She, yeah. was, she was more more of a sister than a cousin. Um, her her mother was uh, lived in Des Moines, Iowa, and that's why mother and I moved there after we left my father. And and um, um, she Joy was of course uh, in in with the Universal Pictures, and um, she she was sort of a mentor to me and. And loved what I did, and I was a little girl, you know. She, she, mm-hmm. I don't know how much older she was, but, but um, uh, she and I were very close, like more like sisters. And and um, she loved the fact that I had a career. Her husband played flute and was a, was an an advertising man. And when I was recording, he came into the RCA studios um as i was recording with peter matz he was so thrilled to meet peter matz oh we'll complain you yeah yeah and uh he but peter matz of course was the conductor and the arranger of my of my third album and uh, her husband was very sharp and so was she and musically and and uh oh yeah she she was a beautiful woman and and mm. it was a joy to have her in my life I told Marilyn that I just recently found that album she's speaking of uh, on LP. Uh, the Lamp is Low is the mm-hmm. title of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I've been looking for Marilyn in these old record stores uh, <laughs> and there, there isn't much. And, but I did find the, the album that Mar- Marilyn made of songs from Sherry. The right. Yeah. That and that, I'm sorry. The title of it was A Taste of Sherry. A Taste um, of Sherry. We, we, we did seven albums on with RCA. And that was in the days when the singer sang right there with the full orchestra. And, of course, the Peter Matz Orchestra was the violins and, and great uh, musicians. The, my A&R man was, um, was, was Joe Rene, and he, he understood. He was a musician himself. And so he understood how wonderful it is to have full orchestras and and provided full orchestras for me in my first and third album. The second album was live at the living room in right here in New York. It was a great club. Excuse me while I clear my throat. <coughs> I should well, not have the other thing, too, is uh, you really whet our appetite for all these show songs um, that the shows were coming because you did Cabaret. Indeed, you did Sherry. You did Step to the Rear. You, you did um, a Golden Rainbow, mm-hmm. right? Am I right? We Golden did. Tell, what'd you say? Golden Rainbow, I think. Oh, um, yes. Golden yeah, Rainbow. Right, Walter, right, yeah. Walter Marks. Walter yeah, Walter right, Marks. right, right. Exactly. So, so, so my life to meet Walter Marks, who wrote the Golden Rainbow. Yeah. Beautiful. I just had lunch with him a few weeks ago. Did you? So, yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, the other question becomes, of course, Step to the Rear led to uh, something very lucrative for you, and that was, of course, Lincoln Mercury. Um, that was that was uh, that that we call that my hit. <laughs> 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 Definitely, uh, cute story. Um, I the um, um, cast. Of, of step to the rear, if you remember, uh, who was the star dancer in the in the cast? That's that's a question for you, Michael. 
Um, <laughs> oh, gee, gosh, I don't know. I know it was uh, Tony Roberts played the lead. Yeah, right. Yeah. How now, Dow Jones? <laughs> well, Tommy Toon was one of the, was, was oh, in the cast. He was. I shouldn't know that. Oh, that's right. He yeah. was on the show. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. He, he yeah. was in the cast. Yeah. And uh, and and fast forward many, many, many years. And um, Tommy comes came a lot to see me in um, here in New York in various clubs. And he always said we were he was in the cast. And he said when when they would play the song Step to the Rear on the radio, all the cast was so thrilled because they were in the in the rehearsals of, of, of the show of How Now Dow Jones. Mm-hmm. And um, they they loved the fact that that uh, they could hear their song, you know. He said we were always so thrilled. He said, "Oh, that's going to be our song," you know. And I don't think the show did so well, did it? No, uh, two hundred some odd performances. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we good. were thinking that. Yeah, I guess it's fair to say, Marilyn, that you, that you really your heyday was sort of the last gasp of a, a time when Broadway show tunes could still become top 40 hits. And no, you, I'm in my heyday now, Michael. Yes, I was just <laughs> going to say that. <laughs> I should excuse me. Did I beat you? I, I meant as a, re, as, a, as a recording artist for RCA and, oh, yeah. and being on television exactly. constantly. And yes, for that matter, oh. Marilyn should record if she hasn't already. The best of times is now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, the, exactly. That's true. The the um, the shows that we worked at the Carson show and and Mike Douglas and and uh, oh gosh, what else, Michael? Um, Ed Sullivan and, and many times on Ed Sullivan and and a lot of times on Johnny Carson. Well, um, yeah, this is not a complaint, but I mean, it seemed to me that almost every time I was watching the Tonight Show in those days, there you were. 76 times. 76. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, those shows were so helpful to us and, and meaningful to, to we great American songbook singers. And we don't have any shows like that anymore. Right. But you did a fantastic uh, streaming show from 54 Below. Wasn't that fun? Yeah, that was yeah. really great. And I'm it glad they streamed a, it because now we have it as a permanent record. Five cameras and, yeah. uh, uh, and maybe, I guess, 10, 12 people sitting there. And uh, it was, uh, you know, I always have to I just envision that, that they're sitting there in their living room having a drink. Didn't cost them anything to drink. <laughs> <laughs> no cover charge. I also remember you telling me that Steve Allen was very important to you. Oh, Steve was the most important, maybe, uh-huh. because he had a show on the West Coast just called the Steve Allen Show. It wasn't the Tonight Show. It was just uh-huh. the Steve Allen Show. And, um, oh, he was so wonderful to me. And he saw me in a club in, in Kansas City. And um, I said, I want you to come out and do my show. And I did it many times. And I wish I could remember how many times. I, I really don't know, but probably four or five times. And um, I would fly out from this little little tiny club that we were working in Kansas City and do the show, the, do the national show, and then come back to the club uh, five days a week. I was there in that club for 11 years while my daughter was growing up. And um, we would work in the summer times in Las Vegas and, and Tahoe and, and then go back to uh, this little club in the spring when, or in the fall when, when my daughter went back to school. But Steve was um, 
such such an advocate of of, of what I do, and um, uh, he was. We did the show, and on the very last show before before he went off the air, um, that I did the sh- last time that I did the show, uh, Joe Renee saw me. His wife had seen me before, and and she said, "Now wait just a minute. Here's here's this singer that I've been telling you about." And he gets on the, and she was a musician too. And um, uh, he, he saw me and he said, he called me and said, I want you to, I want you to come and, and record for RCA. And I said, well, I, I do know that, that I did have an offer on Dot label. Ah, I remember Dot. <laughs> and he said, no, I want to do you with full orchestra. <laughs> you know, he said, I really want to do it with great, great uh, Don Costa was was one of the arrangers on the, on the first album. Yes, um, and and he said I I want and Manny album did, uh-huh. did all the the uh, up tunes and um, so I said well that sounds fabulous and thanks to Joe Renee we we had those RCA albums. Well, when I found that Taste of Sherry album, as I told Marilyn, it, it was they they were charging fifty dollars for it. Wow. Uh, but then for some reason, when I found uh, the lamp is low, it was like five dollars. And Marilyn and Marilyn was like, why is that? That's the better album. <laughs> That's right. I, somebody came to the club recently and handed me one. Of the, I don't even remember which album, but but I said, what? He said, I said, where'd you get this? And he said, online. And I said, what'd you pay for it? And he said, eighty five dollars. <laughs> and right behind him, almost. uh was somebody with an album and and I said, What'd you pay for this? And he said, ten dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think there's any <laughs> No, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no reason, but but I'm grateful to those albums and they are beautiful. The, the arrangements were fabulous and I'm I'm very proud of them. The um and my voice was higher then. <laughs> we we always uh, start and end the podcast with musical selections and, and the ones I chose uh, for this week. Maybe you can talk about these two songs uh, for the opener. We have night of my nights from Kismet. Oh. And, and for the closer, we have here's that rainy day. Right. right. Maybe you what, could what talk about here's what, what, what one is that? I wonder which one that's on. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm not sure because I have it from a compilation, but uh, here's that rainy day. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Well, that it's... was Carson's favorite song. Oh, John really? Carson. Yes, that was his very favorite song. I did it, I don't know how many times on the on the Carson show. He would pop in the makeup room before showtime and welcome me back to the show. And he would say, are you going to do rainy day? And and I said, well, Johnny, I've done it three times. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. We can do it again. <laughs> so, yeah. That was, and, of course, um, Night of My Nights, I'm, I'm thrilled that you did that. I, um, I love the arrangement, and I love the fact that I could show off a, a, a wide range with that because it's, uh, it, gets, it gets very high on, on the middle part. So, it's fantastic. Did you, uh, by any chance, get to see the show uh, that – Here's that rainy day comes from it <laughs> in Flanders, which ran for five performances. No, I didn't. I didn't. No, I saw um, put on a happy face um, by oh, my birdie sure, sure. while I was in recording, and we and we did record uh, uh, put on a happy face. So I saw I saw 
Dick Van Dyke, which was adorable during sure. during the recording days, because I really didn't live here in New York in those times. Mm -hmm. I would do the album and then I'd go back to Kansas City, <laughs> Kansas City, or or then I really started working on the road, and that's when I wound up in in Boston. Um, when when I'm what hotel was it? <laughs> the Ramada Inn. And let me say that after you checked out, the maid said you were very neat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not true now, but thank you. Very much. <laughs> we get older and busier. We're very busy <laughs> these days. From uh, from P Town, we we go to. Oh no, what are we doing? What are we doing in August? Oh no, in September. Then I then it goes on to September, doesn't it? Sure but, does. Um, but we go to we go to San Francisco. Oh, we go to to uh, Minneapolis. There's a wonderful club that I work twice a year called Crooners, and um, uh, I'm there again from uh, in in September. And then and then from there we go directly to San Francisco to the Nico uh, Hotel, that wonderful room at the Nico Feinstein's at the Nico, and. Um, I love that room. It's it's great. We'll be there, and then directly to Palm Springs, uh, when when there's a there's a club that I work twice a year or two, called the Purple Room, and um, and I I have fun doing it. It's a great audience at the Purple Room. They they love us, and we're there. And then we immediately fly back to New York because we'll be at at um, uh, in October for ten days. And I don't know. Let me see. What is the okay? 54 below, right? At 50, at 54 below, which is my, you know, we do 54 below. We've been doing that twice a year for, I don't know how many years, Michael, you'll tell me. Now you've, <laughs> you've also been, uh, when you've appeared there recently, you've, you've uh, put your age as part of the title of each of the shows. I'm not uh, going to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of that. <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore. Okay. <laughs> I mean, who would want to come and see a 94-year-old woman? It's ridiculous. I don't know. What, well, my lawyer came up. He, he was the first uh, when I was 90. Uh, he came up with the great title, Wish I Were 90 Again. And, I, and that, that seemed awfully cute, and everybody raved about it. So then we did 91 and I'm not done and <laughs> 92 and I'm not through. And <laughs> well, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to come to see this 94 year old. Woman. Yeah, <laughs> Besides, 94 is the new 74. <laughs> Where do you, how do you equate that? I'm not sure. How that <laughs> Take the compliment. Did you just make that up? <laughs> not quite. Well, 74 not quite. is not all that young either. Right? <laughs> no, it isn't. Although I'm really busy, I'm, I'm I have great energy, and um, I think that's that's part of part of my continuing, is that that I that you know you push and you think positively, and um, you you do uh, uh, you just keep keep doing whatever you love to do, and and I am I. I, I design a lot of acts for people and uh, for them, for the, for other performers who, who want to, or some that some new newbies, you know, that want to, that want to perform and I'm designing acts for them. So, so all of that is, it keeps me very, very busy. Sometimes I, I will uh, work with them. Well, not just one person, but two hours at a time for six and eight hours a day. And um, I just keep, keep walking and, and singing and, talking <laughs> so it's it's a good life you just 
sometimes all that positive thinking does help, I'm sure. Well, Marilyn, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. It's really wonderful to catch up with you once again. Folks can catch up with Marilyn at MarilynMay.com, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Marilyn, have a wonderful time up in P-Town. Thank you so much. I love speaking with you. I run into Mr. Portantier quite often, and I love it. So, Peter, you got over to Second Stage's Second Stage. Does that make it a fourth stage? (laughs) I'm I'm very unsure about that. But you got to see this uh, new work called Patience. Tell us about it. Well, um, yes. What we mean by Second Stage's Second Stage is above where the Promenade Theater used to be on Broadway around 76, 77, somewhere around there. Uh, You have to take a very slow elevator all the way up to uh, the top, and then you have to walk a flight of stairs. But it's worth it for Patience which is um, <clears throat> quite the fascinating play uh, by Johnny G. Lloyd. Now, patience, if you were in England, you would recognize this word in a different context. And I don't mean anything to do with Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> what I mean is in London and the environs, the word patience refers to the game of solitaire. And this is what this is about. This is about a champion solitaire player. Now, you wonder, how how do they play solitaire with the champion? Well, they give each uh, two people each the same deck of cards and the same layout. And it's simply a speed drill, really, when it comes down to it. That's all it is. And like, you know, in chess, where they press that little thing that starts the uh, timing, that's what they have there. And so as a result, whoever finishes fastest um, wins. Okay. Now... Here is this gentleman, Daniel Bryant, very nicely played by Justin Davis, who um, two eyes and Justin, by the way. And um, Justin Davis um, is the champion for longstanding. He's terrific. And one of the reasons he's terrific is he's been coached by his mother, who really was uh, quite the savant where it came to solitaire or patience, if you will. So uh, he's really done extraordinarily well. But of course, every champion has to uh, face the fact that he or she is getting older and he or she ain't what she used to be or he what he used to be. That's what happens. And certainly now Daniel is quite worried that uh, his crown is going to be taken away from him. Boy, I'll tell you, (laughs) there's a good possibility it will be because Ella Bryant, same last name, but they're no relation. Um, is poised to kill. I am telling you, there is. this is a no-nonsense lady played brilliantly by an actress named Zainab, Z-A-I-N-A-B, maybe Zainab, Barry. Terrific. I'm telling you, she has her eyes on the prize and she is not giving an inch when he wants to be nice to her, you know, let's be uh, above board competitors, you know, that type of thing. Let's shake it. She has none of that. She really believes that if you act nice to your uh, competitor, it's going to ultimately hurt you, that it's going to be weakened, something that will weaken you. And that is something she will not have. That may, all this may sound very ordinary. We've had a lot of stories about, um, champions being dethroned by somebody younger. Um, Even Duke Ellington wrote a musical called Queenie Pie, which I saw in Philadelphia years ago, uh, dealing with the situation, not with solitaire, with the beauty pageant. Anyway, the big scene comes deep in the play. 
between Daniel and his mother. Remember, she's the one who made him what he is. I'm not going to say what happens in this scene, but it's pretty surprising, even to the point of being shocking. Uh, it really galvanizes the whole play. And um, I think the players were seeing just for this scene. Um, now, uh, indeed, what we have to remember here is that this is a one set intermissionless show. And we also have to put in the fact that um, Daniel is gay and has a boyfriend. I don't know how Jonathan Burke is um, during the regular performances. I'm really not sure if he's still with the company. It wasn't made clear to me if um, if he was indisposed, um, if it, his understudy took over, or if there were a replacement. But Xavier Scott Evans, good Lord, um, no matter what happened, no matter if it's an understudy situation or a quick replacement, the fact remains that this guy was raring to go. Again, how many times have we said it during the pandemic? Understudies have really, really uh, shown their mettle. And this guy is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, I, I don't mean to imply that Justin Davis isn't uh, worthy as well, but you have to be really impressed with the guy who has to step in. He was raring to go. So it's quite, quite, quite the show, ultimately, because of that wonderful situation with the mother. And I really do believe that for that alone, yeah, it's, it's really true that so many times um, you, you see a play and you think it's good, but then kaboom, you're really hit with something phenomenal. And of course, we must give credit to Mary E. Hodges playing the mother who plays that scene extraordinarily well. So uh, patience is worth seeing. Patience is worth having. <laughs> and it's there till August 28th at the second stage uh, on Broadway around 76th Street. All right. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Michael, you got over to 54 Below to see two different shows. So tell us about them. Yes. I On Friday night, I got back to uh, Ann Morrison's fabulous show, Merrily from Center Stage. Uh, this is one of those cases where the first time I saw it, I got press comps and I loved it so much that I actually paid to go Imagine. back. <laughs> so I think that indicates, you know, how, how really great it is. I, I, I didn't want to, um, I, I, well, I definitely wanted to see it again. And also um, I, I brought Charles Kirsch with me oh, uh, and no. he, yeah, he really, really wanted to see it. And so we, we got tickets and of course he loved it. It was, it was just amazing. As I said, the first time after seeing this show, you, you almost feel like you were actually there for the entire rehearsal and, uh, uh, you know, performance experience of Merrily We Roll Along, which of course is such a dramatic story uh, with everything that was happening with that show. Uh, Sondheim's first tremendous flop after uh, a string of at least artistic triumphs mm -hmm. uh, and uh, almost the end of his career. Really, we that was we to, at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. He that he he was so dispirited by it, and of course, it was also the breakup of of Sondheim and Hal Prince. Um, but then James Lapine came along, and and there was that whole what you call it this third act, second act, third act <laughs> to Sondheim's career. Um, so it's 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 just a, a fascinating story, and of course, there's the that 
amazing documentary about the whole thing called uh, the the best worst thing that ever could have happened. Yes. Did I get mm-hmm. it right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and uh, and if you mi- uh, well, Anne had uh, two shows of uh, of two two return uh, performances of her show on Friday and Saturday, so you've missed those. But I'm happy to say the first time she did it, it was streamed, and that the whole thing is on YouTube. Uh, so you can absolutely catch it there uh, and, and you'll see what I mean. If you, if you get to see it, it just, um, she did a phenomenal job of just writing it aside from the, the incredible performance. And she, you feel like you've heard the whole score of Merrily, <laughs> um, by the time you're through it, uh, aside, aside from all the amazing stories of, um, just her interactions with Ron Field, who was the original choreographer before he was fired and uh her interactions with prince and sondheim etc it's 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 really superb and then the other show i got to see um on saturday night after Anne's second performance was one of scott siegel's 54s uh sings broadway's greatest hits and he always manages to have a great group this time he had um, some several people who've sung f- with him before, including the amazing John Easterlin, uh, who has been on Broadway as the uh, the opera singer. What's his name? Pianji in uh, <laughs> in uh, uh, Pianji. Yes, in uh, in Phantom. Um, and John uh, proved that he uh, his voice is so superb and phenomenal and powerful that he actually sang a cappella. Uh, 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 one of his uh, no, I'm sorry, not a cappella. Uh, unplugged. The piano mm. was playing, but no, no mics. Um, and absolutely, absolutely filled the room. Um, even though it was probably never designed for that kind of performance. So he was amazing. But then um, uh, some new faces uh, that Scott, you know, he's always promoting young talent. This this young woman named Liza Aquilino uh, sang "Being Alive." You know, now that. Bobby and company is, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> is, a, is a female role as well. Um, and this young fellow, Christopher Bryan, did She Loves Me, the title song. And he also did What More Can I Say from Falsettos. And as I told him afterwards, that was the best acted performance of What More Can I Say that I've ever seen and heard. It, it really it almost brought tears to my eyes. It was really beautiful. Um, another young fellow, Jeremiah Garcia and Ryan Knowles, um, who's been in several of Scott's shows recently uh, and who you may know from The Lightning Thief. Jenny Lee Stern uh, did the entire cell block tango by herself. Whoa. And it was just a tour de force. Uh, but, you know, she's a forbidden Broadway alum, so she can do that kind of thing because that's she's got that much talent. And um, finally, Ben Jones, who's going to be in my Bernstein on Broadway show in, in September. He was in this show and he did um, Ron Abel, who was a musical director and, and Ben worked up an incredible Beautiful arrangement. I, I, I suppose it was mostly Ron who did it of a mashup of with every breath I take from City of Angels and losing my mind from Follies. And as uh, Ron said afterwards, it's the same song, but, you know, it's not. But you know what he meant. It, they just go together beautifully. And it was the kind of a mashup. It wasn't just one song and then into the other. It, w- it started with one and then it went to the other and then it went back and forth. And uh, there were phrases 
from each song just to kind of intermingle throughout. And I said to Ron, well, aside from everything, what that does is it makes you really hear the lyric um, and focus on every line because the next line that you think is going to be coming is not necessarily what you wind up actually hearing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's really, it's really just a, a wonderful thing to do if you, if you pick two songs that, that fit together well as, as he did. Um, so I loved it. It was a great, the highlight, I would say, of, a, of an evening of highlights. And thanks to Scott Siegel, this was his 87th. Um, wow. His 87th of that, that series alone of the 54 <laughs> Sings Broadway's wow. Greatest Hits. He's also doing um, Sinatra's Greatest Hits. Uh, that's every two weeks at 54. And, the, uh, and it alternates with the Broadway's Greatest Hits. And then that's aside from all the shows he does at Town Hall. So, yeah, he's a dynamo and it's a great, great venue. Oh, and by the way, uh, as we didn't get to bring up um, during our talk with Marilyn, they have finally removed Michael Feinstein's name uh, from the there. There are like three. What would you call them? Plaques, uh, 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 tiles uh, on the back wall uh, of uh, on the, you know, on the on the stage of. 54 below and they used to say uh, i guess originally they said 54 below and then they said feinstein's 54 below for however many years that was seven whatever Mm -hmm. uh and now it's back to 54 below i wonder if they saved the original tiles (laughs) or if they they had to have them (laughs) remade again uh but yeah so they are they are back uh and now it's just 54 below again i wonder if there was some sort of ceremony where they like Threw salt over to the left shoulder and spun around three <laughs> times and spit. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we should say that friend of the show Charles Kirsch that you brought to Fifty Four Below has his own show coming up at Fifty Four yes. Below. Charles Kirsch's Backstage Babble Live, September 6, 7 p.m. at 54 Below, where he is going to fit all of Broadway onto the stage at one time. So <laughs> Seems that way. <laughs> it just does seem that way. And uh, so uh, catch Charles's uh, podcast, um, well, Backstage Babble. Well, let's be fair. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I remember Charles saying to me that he once interviewed a celebrity and it didn't go well. He said, because she didn't know I was a child. So we should mention that Charles Kirsch uh, will be doing the show um, very late in his 14th year. He's about to turn 15 in September, but that won't happen until after the show is over. So be aware. We are talking about a child, but oh, what a kid he is. And by the way, I said to him uh, the other night, I said, uh, Charles, given your recent age, have you seen the film of 13? <laughs> and he said he hadn't seen it yet, uh, but you know, he, he'd like to. He's got so time. We'll have to get his. Yeah, he's got time. But we'll have to get it'd be interesting to get his perspective on it. Sure. All right. So uh, next up, Peter, you got over to the Chain Theater to see Mac Bitches. So tell us about this play. Well, you know, I, this is a new play by a woman named Sophie McIntosh. And I have a feeling she really knows what she's talking about. This is uh, takes place at a university um, where there's a theater program. And everybody's very enthusiastic about the theater program because everybody really believes, all, all these women, um, young women, uh, really believe that um, he or she, I'm sorry, just she, <laughs> is going to be Lady Macbeth in the new production. But it goes to a freshman. 
And needless to say, the upperclassmen who have worked hard all these years fully mm. expected, each of them fully expected that she had a chance at Lady Macbeth or at the very worst Lady Macduff, but to be cast as messenger one and messenger three, you know, <laughs> when a freshman um, gets the plum role, my, um, so they invite her to uh, a little soiree. Uh, let's meet you. Let's get to know you. And um, they're really there to um, torture her in one way or another. And I mean that in one way or another. At the end of the show, there's a very, 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 very clever way of referencing Macbeth itself. What I also find very interesting, um, this has to be the first time uh, that um, the musical The Drowsy Chaperone is referenced in a play. And you go back to when you know that that show started simply as a little larky thing when somebody was getting married and somebody said, oh, let's do a little skit. And little by little by little by little, it became this um, show that came very close to winning the Tony Award as Best Musical and certainly ran a while. And I'm, I've heard so many people refer to Drowsy. You know, I mean, it even has that nicknamey type thing <laughs> now. Um, and um, they refer to it as that too. But uh, this would have to be a thrill for the writers of um, the Drowsy Chaperone to know that they've really, uh, that's when you really arrived when your show actually is mentioned in another show, then you really know that uh, people know what it is or expected to know what it is. Cause I mean, the other shows that are mentioned at the crucible 12th night, you know, had uh, uh, a gobbler, I mean, wow. classics. So yeah. to have uh, the drowsy chaperone um, merge with that is pretty, pretty good indeed. Now, um, we have excellent performance here. Excellent. You may not have heard of Laura Claire Brown or Lauren Dietzel or Marie de Nolan or Morgan Liu or Natasha Narendop or Caroline Orlando, but I won't be surprised if in the years to come you do because, um, <laughs> well, one of them's a swing, but uh, I have a feeling, as we've said earlier, that understudies really know what they're doing. So I have a feeling that um, we're going to hear from these uh, women as time goes on. And I hope we do. Boy, did they throw themselves into it. It's 90 minutes, no intermission. Um, it flies by terrifically well because Ella Jane knew directed it so well. And um, but the real thing here is that I have no doubt whatsoever that Sophie McIntosh went to, to a school uh, and had experiences not unlike this. I'm not saying that she's um, the, the person who got it as a freshman. I'm not saying that. But all the talk about the teachers and what they like and what they don't like and what they do and what they don't do, and you got to watch out for this and you got to watch out for that, and all that stuff rang really true. Hmm. So that's the power of the play. You really get the impression the author knows what she's talking about. And I bet she does. All right. So um, that is, I didn't get a closing date, September 10th. September 10th, it's running through over at the uh, Chain Theater on 36th Street. So, Michael, you have, uh, uh, to wrap up this morning's reviews, you got to see Butcher Boy. So tell us about Butcher Boy. Yeah, Peter gave us a report on it uh, last week, was it? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. And 
I, I don't have much to add, except I have to say I, I was uh, I was a fan of Nicholas Barish before this. But now I'm really a fan. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't believe how good he is in it. And also what a workout. I mean, what a marathon role um, that he has in the central role of this this show. And not only the length of it, but it's it, it's a it's a very very demanding and very ultimately very dark uh, musical, uh, as you might guess from the title, which turns out to be all too literal. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it's an interesting show because for a long time you don't know you don't know if the title is going to turn out to be literal, um, and then eventually he gets a job in a butcher shop. So then you think, oh, well, it's, it's literal in that sense. But then it turns out to be literal in another way. And I won't say any more other than that. Very, very demanding, very dark role. He He's phenomenal in it. I can't quite believe that he does it eight times a week and twice on matinee days. Um, just, just astounding. Uh, uh, Nicholas won the Theater World Award for Edwin Drood, correct? Um, he won the Dorothy Loudon Award. I don't the- know if he won a Theater World Award. Oh, the the Dorothy Loudon Award that is given at the at the Theater World Awards. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. right, yeah, yeah. It's um, a different thing. Right, right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I knew he was recognized for that, and you know he was fine in that. But there's that there wasn't that much opportunity uh, to showcase uh, this incredible talent that he has. And by the way, he's just come off the tour of playing the young male lead in Hades Town. So he can also sing really high <laughs> and really pretty. Um, but uh, I, I urge you to get, get to see the Butcher Boy. It's uh, I, I, I'm in line with Mark Miller's review. Mark uh, wrote a review that was, you know, very critical in in many ways, and pointed out that the show doesn't really work overall. But he still said he would much much rather see something like this, and was so glad he was there as compared to uh, another jukebox musical or bio musical or some something that's obviously done just to cash in on some pre-existing familiar property because this one has really wonderful uh, well book music and lyrics mm-hmm. by this fellow named Asher Muldoon uh, as Peter might have said um mm-hmm. yes he did <laughs> I, I I think the that I actually thought the score was terrific and maybe the book um, could could have used a lot of work, but it's a very, very tricky, difficult story based on a novel by Patrick McCabe, which was apparently made into a movie that I didn't see. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm going to have to catch up on that movie now, but it's, uh, it's not something that's easy to musicalize um, by any means. And I, and I think it's a tribute to Asher Muldoon that he got so close um, to having something that that really works well and even though it it doesn't work perfectly there are many many moments when you're going to be 
completely caught up in the story and the characters. So I'm, I'm just glad I, I got to I, I got to it a little late uh, because of other conflicts, but it's still um, got a while to go in its run at the Irish Rep. So I, I urge you to get down there if you at all can. Oh, and Michelle Raguse is in it, and I love her. Yeah, let me also say that my friend Richard Norton, who goes to the theater, I would say at least 150 times a year, mm. and whose first show was Jenny during the Boston tryout in 1963, <laughs> claims that Nicholas's performance is one of the 10 best he's ever seen a guy given a musical. Wow. So I, I would not argue with that. It's just, it's just, and as I say, it's the intensity of it and that, you know, that many times a week and, and twice on matinee days, I, I almost don't understand how he can do it. <laughs> so I guess youth is, part of it. Right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, there's a, a lot of magic happening over at the St. James Theater. Magic that makes producers happy with glee and joy. <laughs> yeah, I just read an item. Uh, 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 I guess the website is called broadwaybusiness.com. It's part and, of Broadway Briefing. Broadway Briefing. Oh, broad, broad, yeah. yeah, that's all yeah. the same. And, and it says, Into the Woods Breaks 2 Million as Broadway box office holds steady. Uh, and this was an article by Caitlin Hornick. Uh, so that is the that is the incredible news. I mean, there was a time when breaking one million a week, you know, was considered a, an incredible achievement and still not. It's you know, it's not beans. You know, it's uh, pardon the expression. Beans, uh, beans. <laughs> Uh, but two million, you know, as as I said, um, when 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 uh, Into the Woods moved to Broadway, to the St. James, which has been hard to fill in recent years. I said, if, if it starts filling that theater, they are going to figure out some way to extend the run as long as they possibly can. And that's exactly what has happened. I was, I'm not always right, but I was right on this one. Um, and then it also goes on to say for the week ending August 14th, uh, the 23 Broadway productions running grossed $27,561,874 and played to about 89% capacity, which is not bad for, you know, the middle of the summer. Um, uh, grosses are down just 0.4% from last week and capacity down 0.07% showing a very minimal change into the woods. Dear Evan Hansen mm -hmm. and MJ all played to a hundred percent capacity. I had heard that. Uh, I thought I had heard that dear Evan Hansen had dropped. I guess not. Well, Dear Evan Hansen played to 100% capacity, but the ticket price was pretty low, pretty oh. st steeply discounted. Oh, okay. Uh, thanks. Yeah, you yeah. do have to read all of the um, statistics yeah. to, to, get a, to get a few. <laughs> okay. Uh, nine other productions played to at least 90% capacity. Only two productions played to less than 70% capacity. So I guess in general, uh, Broadway's doing pretty well right now. Uh, Julia Green in our chat room points out that the music man is dark this week and that people need to spend their money somewhere. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Oh, was that just yeah. because of pre-scheduled vacations? I, I I didn't know that until she just posted that just now. But Juliet is our our reporter on the ground there. She's seen like 18 shows this week. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. I, I might have exaggerated that a little. So, um, But it's interesting what you say about the St. James Theater because I pulled it up. Um Starting uh, back in, uh, I guess we'll start back at 2010, American Idiot played 
for a bit, then Hair Played, On a Clear Day, Leap of Faith, Bring It On, the musical, Manilow on Broadway, Let It Be, Bullets Over Broadway, the Sideshow Revival, Something Rotten, Present Laughter, Frozen. I guess Frozen is the first longish-running thing of that list. Then we had that that ill, misconceived show, Springsteen on Broadway, that never invited me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That I heard, I heard it was terrible. I heard yeah, it was yeah. terrible, just horrible. And, yeah, yeah, just horrible. Then the American Utopia, and now Into the Woods. So it, you know, quite possible that Into the Woods could be the uh, first hit in the St. James in uh, a long, a long, long time. while. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, as as we've discussed before, there was a time uh, not that long ago when it was one of the most prized theaters yeah. because it has the balcony. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if but. A balcony is a liability if you have a show that's not selling out. Yeah. Uh, and, and when you have a show that is selling out, then it's a tremendous asset. And I believe I heard um, uh, just secondhand that the balcony, at least some of the balcony seats for Into the Woods are $49. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it's not, you know, it is the balcony and you're going to be kind of far away, but it's not that far. Uh, and I certainly think that that's worth it uh, if you if you don't have... 200 bucks to drop on it um you know to be true to to be truthful michael i mean balcony seats uh you're almost as close in your apartment as the balcony seats to mm-hmm. st mm-hmm. james theater sure sure but <laughs> but i remember the first time i was ever in there which was indeed for hello dolly the original production and um i don't remember feeling like i was oppressed uh by being uh, right. up there uh, and you know, those were the days when I really had to scrounge to get the money to get the five dollars or whatever it was to see it from the balcony. I remember some some of the balconies uh, in the Broadway theaters are are not good because they're so steep. Uh, that would include the Palace. I remember sitting up there for Lacage, and also um, the Belasco. But I don't think the um, St. James one is, I, I think the angle is better at that mm-hmm. balcony as, as far as I remember. So just a word to the wise, if you, um, you know, if, if that I, I, you can get in to see this amazing hit, hit, hit production of Into the Woods and not uh, have to mortgage your house. And speaking of Lacage, <laughs> this is the anniversary of it. Uh, thirty-nine years ago today, suddenly it's thirty-nine years that Lacage opened. Wow! Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Wow. Hmm. All right. So that wraps it up for this morning. Before we get on to the trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, all the, anywhere that you can get finer podcasts, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. And also, I want to thank Matt Temanini for jumping in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. He's been a godsend to help me out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Peter, what do we have an answer to last week's trivia? A musical from 1918 with a score by a very famous composer-lyricist, who eventually won a Best Score Tony for another show, has a three-word title. The first word is the nickname of a very famous lyricist. What's the musical? Who wrote the score? And what's the lyric- who's the lyricist? Well, <clears throat> the 1918 musical was called Yip, Yip, Yap, Hank, written by Irving Berlin, who won a Best Score Tony for Call Me Madam. 
Yip was the nickname of E.Y. Harburg, lyricist of Finian's Rainbow and many other musicals. Laura Franco's Turtle Dove was the first to get it, but that's just because I gave her the question a few weeks ago as an example of the type of question I'm asking <laughs> in my upcoming book, um, Brain Teases for Broadway Geniuses. Aside from that, Michael Portantier was the first to get it, but he had a head start too. So following that, uh, them were um, Julia Green, Tony Janicki, Paul Witte, Greg Christensen, Mike Meany, Brigadude, Josh Israel, Isaac Blevins, Sean Logan, Jack Leshner, Michael Wannis, J. Aubrey Jones, John Baccarella, Jeff Hickman, Phil Bond, Deb Popple, Adam Kirsch, Remy Holzer Kirsch, those are Charles Kirsch's parents, Chris Skiles, Robert Lobiondo, and a partridge in a pear tree. I'm telling you, the gang was all here for this one, you know. So anyway, this week's question. Fiddler on the Roof, Little Shop of Horrors, Matahari, Oh Brother, One Mo Time, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and Via Galactica. What review included a song that mentions all those shows? Hmm. All right. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, as discussed uh, when we were talking with Marilyn, our opener was Night of My Nights from Kismet, uh, a fantastic arrangement. Uh, she's absolutely right. It's a really great arrangement. Um, and uh, bear in mind, you know, we're talking about what, like 60-year-old recordings here. Uh, it's really just amazing, that woman's career, um, and that she's still going very, very strong. And the closer is Here's That Rainy Day from Carnival in Flanders, which ran for uh, five performances uh, in 1953. Uh, music by James Van Heusen, lyrics by John Johnny Burke, and book and direction by Preston Sturgis. Uh, you know, the film guy. Uh, I wonder why this, do you know of any revival of this show ever, oh, no. Peter? No. I, I, I mean, I wonder if it's absolutely horrible. <laughs> because well, in his review of My Fair Lady, Walter Kerr said um, it was going so well after the rain in Spain. If you invited the authors of Carnival and Flanders to come in and work on it, you still couldn't have stopped the show from being a smash hit. So, oh, my. Oh um, my. He also, to be fair, he also mentioned Buttrio Square and Hit the Trail. But nevertheless, the point is that it was considered that much of a disaster uh, that indeed uh, uh, that's what happened. I think well, I told I, the story between John Rayton and Susan Johnson, but... Um, well, it so. would be wonderful to see it in some form someday. It's too bad Mel Miller's not still around. Uh, I don't think he ever got to that one. Uh, but maybe this uh, group that Rob Schneider has now, maybe they can do it, uh, oh. you know, just so we can see it and see, you know, what the problem is. Anyway, one of the uh, problems may very well be that they don't have any of the materials. I mean, it's, oh, it's, you know, that. Believe me, that uh, certainly happens with a lot of those shows from the 50s. Yeah, even with some of the hits. they. Yeah, they, even with the hits. Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah. But anyway, I, I was, uh, by the way, I misquoted with six performances. I don't want to shortchange it. <laughs> uh, but uh, regardless of how good or bad or terrible the book is and the rest of the score, here's that rainy day. It's an absolutely gorgeous song. And um, so please enjoy this beautiful rendition by the great Marilyn May. 
So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Keeps raining all the time, all the time. My poor self can't pull it together Keeps raining, keeps raining All of the time, all the time Keeps raining all the time Well, when he went away The blues walked in and met me Rockin' chairs bound to get me Well, all I do, all I do is pray the Lord above To let me walk in the sun once more I cannot go on Everything I had is gone It's stormy weather since my man and I, since my man and I ain't together, where is my worn out wish? I simply threw aside after it brought my love.